we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hello, my name's Chris Kimbangi. And uh, so I lead Centerpoint Church, and it's so great uh, to be with you today. Um, And we're going to be going through um, uh, a book called Matthew. Matthew's in the Bible. And so if you can turn to Matthew chapter chapter 22, um, which we're going to be going through. Actually, it might be chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. If you can start to turn to that now. It might be that you haven't got a phone with a Bible on or a Bible of your own and if that is the case why don't you stick your hand up in the air and uh, one of our stewards will bring a Bible to you in your seat. We're going to be floating around Matthew so it'll be worthwhile you having one in front of you Um, so keep it up until it arrives to you Um, and if the reason your hand is up is because you just don't own a Bible then you can keep this one as a free gift from us. It will bless you and do you good. Has anyone been to Ikea? Yeah, it's a great place, although you kind of can never escape from there. There's just so many different levels. Um, Often when I go to Ikea, um, we end up finding all sorts of stuff which we never knew we needed, um, but suddenly it's there and you think, oh, that that would be really useful. Often when uh, Catherine and I go to Ikea, you know, you look around all the the different stuff and for some reason I I often say, why don't we buy those like fake flowers and uh, apparently oh no no I know apparently that's that's no good and um, but I also yeah why don't we buy fake flowers because think about it it's convenient they look pretty much the same from the distance all the petals are kind of the same color same size same shape and it does the job at a fraction of the pie of the price of kind of continually buying fresh flowers all the time surely That's the easy thing to do. And um, the fact is, though, ultimately, they're dead because fake flowers, they don't bring into the house the beautiful smell of fresh roses. Um, They, after a while, they just kind of look a bit tattered and weary and can even get dust on them if you don't dust them after a while. Um, They will never provide pollen for bees if bees were going to come in your home and, and require that kind of thing it will never ultimately produce life and spread and produce life in other different ways, nor will it satisfy in any way. Ultimately, they will tire and go in the rubbish bin. On the other hand, fresh flowers are much harder work. They're they're much harder. And they constantly need pruning and feeding and watering and looking after. And and they cost so much more and you have to buy them regularly. Um, Guys, you have to buy them regularly. And... um, but the thing is that they bring life to the house. They bring freshness. They, they don't just look good, they also smell great. And when you buy them often, they bring a, just the creativity and the newness. And if bees were to come into your house, and they would be satisfied and they would carry their pollen and they would spread life and goodness elsewhere. And the joy that the plant um, will, will bring can spread far and wide, even long after it is gone. Authentic flowers bring life to all that's around them. Fake flowers might look good for a while, but ultimately do nothing. They're dead. I hope that you kind of know where I'm going with this already. 
It's so easy in life to kind of look the part, to buy the right things, to say the right things, to post the right picture. It's easy to learn how to say and do all uh, that's right to appear to have it all together whilst the whole time feeling kind of lost, alone, depressed, sad, insecure, angry, uh, to ultimately be a bit lifeless. We live in a society which has learned exactly how to present ourselves to the rest of the world through our screens, whilst all the time battling with low self-esteem, low body image, poor emotional and mental health, big-time insecurity. But it's not just out there, out in the world, it's also in the church. It's really easy for us to do it here too. It's possible to do and say all the right things while... And, and the whole time kind of putting on a show for everyone else. It's like watering and pruning and presenting a beautiful fake flower. Good for nothing and ultimately ends up destined for the rubbish heap. We can put on a grand performance all the time of do-goodness and righteousness and prayerfulness and we can be seen and heard to do and say all the right things and if you come to church long enough, you'll pick up all the right lingo and the when to say something and when not to and you'll, you'll learn how to say the right prayers and, and all, also you can learn all this stuff but God looks at the heart. You can do it all whilst not really living a life that God intended it's easy to go through life, coming to church every Sunday, but not really walking in a relationship with God. And then people come in and they just can't match up to your perfection. And they then learn how to play the part and put on the mask uh, that is not reality, it's just play acting. And that is the very essence of hypocrisy. Jesus talks about this a lot. In Matthew 23, hopefully you found it by now, verse uh, 23 to 28, it says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of, law, of the law, like things like justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. So you should do... Do good, be merciful, be just, but also give. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat but swallow a camel. He goes on, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean also. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear as people is righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Welcome to church. <laughs> this is Jesus. Jesus talking not to the world out there, but he's talking to people who love God and know God. And the thing, that is what I just find remarkable. It's so easy to fall into pharisaical thinking, fake flower thinking, to present ourselves in one way to the world whilst actually all the time not being that thing. 
Over the past few weeks, we've been talking through something known as the Beatitudes. We're going through these nine statements of flourishing that Jesus um, talks about at the start of Matthew chapter 5. And this week, we're on number 6, which is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack all that it means to be pure in heart. So that's most of the morning. We're going to look at that. We will touch on what it means to see God as well before coming back to worship at the end. And basically, pure in heart is, is not hypocrisy. It's not all this stuff that, that we've seen about the Pharisees. I'm going to talk through actually lots of different moment. Matthew loves um, bringing out all this stuff, all this hypocritical thinking uh, throughout the whole of his, his gospel. You can just read through it and you'll just see it coming over and over again. Before we do, let me give you a bit of context. So you see, throughout these nine statements of human flourishing that Jesus speaks on at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, um, we, we get this phrase, this one, pure in heart. So the other, they're all statements of human flourishing. But this phrase, pure in heart, is not a phrase that the people of his day would have, would have not heard before. All the others were, were, were weird. You know, when, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy, it's like, what? I thought the people that receive mercy are, are, are not merciful. They're, they're the people that do all the righteous stuff and look all good. Or when he says stuff like, um, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's like, what I thought is those that are forceful and righteous and zealous for God's word. They will, no, no, it's the humble. It's those that are humble. Uh, but here, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, that's something that they would have known. Because in Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4, it says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. See, clean hands, that represents um, the words and the actions that people do. They're the kind of external purity. It's what, what we do. That's external purity, and um, that's one side. But the other side is, is a pure heart, and the pure heart represents internal purity. So we often, when we use the word heart, we often relate that to feelings. But back in, you know, 2,000 years ago, when people heard the word heart, they would hear the whole inner person, their thoughts, their will, their motives, and their feelings, and their kind of, everything that kind of inspires them to who they are, that's what heart is. And so everything that makes up their internal purity, that is their heart. And so they are encouraged to, to be, to have clean hands, to, to do good, but also to, to have the good motives behind that goodness. Not just to do it for the sake of it, so you, you look good and you receive praise from men, but to do it because you, you recognise that, actually, no, I, I want to do these things. I, I've got a pure heart and my internal instincts are the same from my external actions. And do you know what? The rabbis, the Pharisees, the Jewish elite, the people that were the kind of the elite um, religious people of the day, they went big on external purity, external displays. As long as you're seen to do the right thing, then you're okay. They would do this all the time. And so, like we read earlier, they would give money or spices to the temple whilst, the, go, whilst they were walking to it, ignore all the people in need on their way to it. They would um, be like whitewashed tombs, lovely on the outside, you know, the grave that's all lovely and beautiful, pristine. But inside is dead bones. 
the reason why Jesus used that description is because the way that they acted and treated people was just hypocritical. It was like they, they would do things on the outside to look like one way, whilst inside not uh, harbouring evil desires, wickedness. And so they would ignore all the people around them. Inside they would be full of extortion, and that's why they were like these whitewashed tombs. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. In fact, we see that whenever he speaks to religious people in the Bible... He, he goes hard on them. When he speaks to people that don't know God, he, he invites them in. He's welcome. He's friendly. Yes, they've got loads of baggage and all sorts of things going on, but he's looking to draw them in to know God, to know the heart of God. Those people who declare that they know God, who, who say that, then he's saying, hey, well, do you really? What's your heart like? What's your attitude like? What's your motivation like? Um, we see this happen again, again and again and again. Here's some examples. There's a moment where... There's a, a woman who is caught in adultery. What that means is that she, there's this woman, she's sleeping with a man who's not her husband. And um, a bunch of religious people find her and um, they, fight, they caught, catch her in the act and they drag her out and they bring her to Jesus. And uh, notice they, they, they're not concerned about her situation, her environment, why she might be in that state. And they're also not concerned about bringing the bloke to Jesus either. They just drag this woman. And Jesus... Um, says, well, he who, because they want to stone her, he who is without sin, just cast, a, just cast the first stone. He's like, he's now, hey, you're hypocrites, because you're just as bad as everyone else. And don't forget that. There's a, another moment where the, the religious elite, these Pharisees, they, they go to fast and they kind of, um, they don't put on their makeup that day. They look all gaunt and, you know, they will kind of walk around like this and, oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting because I'm holy. That's what they do. And um, Jesus challenges them again. He goes, and he's like, well, you've received all your praise from men. Like when you fast, do, do that in private. Put on the oil, put on, you know, put on the things that make you look fine but, and get on with it anyway because fasting isn't about an external display to other people. It's about you growing in your relationship with God. It's the same with praying. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, hypocrites who pray long, drawn out, extensive prayers for show for all the people. Look at my wonderful theological knowledge. No, no, no. God knows everything that's in your heart anyway, so be simple. He knows your mind, your thinking, your thoughts, so be simple and just grow in relationship with him. This happens all the time, and this is the mentality of the fake flower. We want people to perceive us in a certain way. We want to be shown as being busy. We want to receive praise from, from all the people around us because we're, the fundamentally we're not pure in heart. It's so easy for it to creep into church culture, into leadership culture, into preaching culture, into, into every single culture of church life. Doing a whole bunch of stuff for God is useless if we don't actually love him and do it all out of a relationship with him and um, enjoy his presence. We're doing it for the audience of one. When we see people caught up in sin, it's no use trying to scrub them clean, trying to rub the outside of the cup whilst all the time ignoring their what's going on in our hearts that's that's not what god calls us to do it's so easy for people to come to church and feel a bit condemned or judged and oh i'm not sure if i can go there because i'm just going to be i'm going to be judged and i don't match up to everyone there else who looks all perfect well you don't have to because that's not ever what church is meant to be about it's not we're not called to fill a lovely church garden full of fake flowers no but fresh 
unique individuals that are all different shapes and sizes and come from all different backgrounds. That is a sweet smelling fragrance, acceptable to God as we bring life and we enjoy to be with each other. That's what it means to flourish. And amazingly, this kind of stuff, we, we kind of believe it. I'm sure you're thinking, yes, yeah, that's right, we believe it. And it, yeah, it's so hard to put into practice. So I'm going to demonstrate it again from uh, Matthew 19 this time. So if you've got a Bible, you can flick to Matthew 19. Um, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He's thinking, you know, external, external stuff. What must I do? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replies. There is only one who is good. Notice, Jesus now brings God into mix. Because before this, the man's all like, what must I do? It's all about me. Now Jesus brings God into the mix. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And this guy, well, which ones? Which, which commandments do I keep then? So Jesus replies, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. And the guy's like, well, all these I've kept. I've got it all. And um, what, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the young man heard this. He went away sad because of his great wealth. Did you notice that when Jesus gave the commandments, he didn't give all 10 commandments. He just picked out a few. He, he picked out the external appearance ones. He's setting this guy up. Uh, all the ones that kind of require something of external, like don't steal, don't do this, you know. He's, he's setting this guy up and the, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, 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 I've done, yeah, got you, I've done all that. And then Jesus goes for the heart because he knows where your money is, that's where your heart will also be. So without even mentioning the commandments like love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, which would be really easy, oh, yeah, yeah, I love God, yeah, yeah, I do, I do that which would be really easy for him to say. No, he goes for internal heart motivation attitude. And so he's like, okay then, why don't you sell everything you've got and then come and follow me. And the guy goes away sad because, yeah, like I said, you can't serve both God and money. Do you know what? This is not, nothing to do with money. Jesus, in this instance, asks this guy to sell everything, but he doesn't do that to anyone else that he ever meets, any other rich person or, or anyone, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, none of them. He doesn't, he doesn't ask this. What he's... What the point of all this is, the takeaway is, is it's about the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, it's like, yeah, 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 I've done all that, done that, done that, done that. But God looks at the heart and it's like, yeah, but why? Why are you doing that? Do you truly love God? Are you doing this to put on a performance? Oh, I've done all these things, yes, I've, I've not cheated on my wife, I've not stolen anything. Yeah, yeah, but why? Is it to show an external display or is it because you love me and you want to walk in relationship with me? For, it, for Jesus, the inside, the heart, is disproportionately important compared to the outside. You might have heard it like this. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. So in Isaiah 29, the Lord says, The people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to the depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, well, who says this? God doesn't know. It doesn't really matter. Who will know? What you do in secret 
should match up with who you are in public. No hypocrisy. That's what it means to be a fresh, authentic flower. It's not fake. It's not hidden. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, we all desire pure things, don't we? Pure gold, pure um, like water, pure breeds, you know, if you're getting a pet. Pure is when something is like untainted, impeccable. It's when it's something's flawless or sincere, even ethical. It's where something's unadulterated, uncomplicated, unpolluted, uncorrupted. It's clean. It is good. There is no hypocrisy in something that's pure. The outward actions match the inward intentions. Their whole life, public and private, spoken and thought, is pure. A great theologian put it like this. Pure in heart means to will one thing, just one thing. There's no hidden agendas, no secret attitudes. What you see is what you get. Your motives, your agenda, your attitude towards something or someone is is not hidden. It's not hypocritical. What you say to them in their face, you also say about them to other people. Your goal in life is the same. It's to please God in everything that you do. You have one will in life. And so everything you do is all about that one thing. So how do we do it? How do we have a pure heart? Well, we align our lives to God. We seek him and everything else will change. We start with the inside of the cup, our hearts, our motivations, our thinking, our feelings. We align them all with God. And as we do that, we are single-minded for him. Now, I don't know about you, but that is tough, isn't it? This week, I tell you, I have been struggling. As I've been preparing this week's sermon, I was thinking, man, can anyone do this? Like, surely this is impossible. It's just so difficult. Last week, uh, Stuart preached on... um, uh, bless the, like the merciful. We need to receive mercy. And, uh, you know, I found myself this week thinking about that and he, he was talking about all sorts of different applications of it, like the way we drive our cars. And um, I, was, I was driving the other day and, do you know, like, normally when two lanes go to one lane, you know, people are respectful, aren't they? You, you let one car go from one side, then the other car, then the other car. You know, that's, we, we're British, aren't we? We do that. We know how to be, you know, drive carefully and consider. And then this uh, guy and in an Audi, of course, little A3, he's whizzing through the lanes, and it was, it was my turn to go, and he went, he just cut in in front, and it's like two cars went from the same side, and it's meant to be one, and uh, I felt myself, I felt, what should I do? And then I felt God speaking to me from his sermon, and um, I thought, do you know what? Sometimes, some people's lives are in, so, what, I don't know, in all sorts of different types of circumstances that they just need a little win like that. They just needed like a little win. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to give you that. You know, it's fine. It's not, I'm going to be merciful. Yeah, you don't deserve it. I should beat my horn. I should, I don't know, wave out the window. Maybe, I don't know. I wouldn't do that. But I, I, it's interesting, isn't it, that as, as we start to allow God to, to shape us and change our hearts through the hearing of his word and we put it into action we can start to actually do this stuff we can start we align our lives to God and we say God have your way in my life I want to be solely for you we allow him to speak to us and then we start to transform the way we live and we start to give people win oh yeah that's all right it's all good it's all good it doesn't matter it's all good and so um 
I think that if you are sitting there and you've heard all this and you, you're thinking, yes, I want that, but oh, that is so hard, you know what, you're in good company. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Who can say that? Who can really say that? Even the disciples questioned Jesus on this. Back in Matthew, that story that we read earlier about the rich man uh, walking away from Jesus sad, um, the disciples get into a conversation about Jesus, about that scenario. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They're like, what? And they asked, who then can be saved? Who could possibly have a pure heart? Who can, who can come to know God? And Jesus looked at them and said, hey, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So how does God do it? God does it through faith. The disciples, they grappled with this all the time. Sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they got it massively wrong. And... Um, you know, the thing is, is that at the time, they were the faithful. They were the children of God. They were from the line of Abraham. They were the people that they thought were going to inherit all the kingdom. And others, Gentiles, people that weren't Jews, they looked detestable to them. They, they um, ate things that were unclean. They did things in a completely different way. And it was hard for the Jewish people of the day to understand that these people could also know God and have a relationship with God that is exactly the same as theirs. And yet all these people were started to become Christians, people who were not Jews. They, they weren't born in the right family or from the right circumstance. They were from a completely different situation and they were now starting to become Christians. And the disciples were like, whoa, what is going on? Can we really let this happen? Before I talk about that, do you know, we can do all the same things. We can do it ourselves. You know, I'm really looking forward to next week as we do our community fun day, as we get out into our community and we spend those three hours blessing everyone around us. Yeah, yeah, have another um, sausage, have another ice cream, enjoy the music, pet another animal, whatever it might be that they're going to do. Did I tell you we've got archery? Looking forward to that. It's going to be great. It's going to be great fun, all free. And, but you know what? I, that's the easy thing. I, I know it's taken all of us and we're serving, we're doing a lot. That is the easy thing. The hard thing is then day, week in, week out, as we start to see people from our community more and more. It's so great. We have visitors every single week and it's, you're so welcome. And I believe that over this year, God is, God is going to continue to grow us as a church and we're going to see people come into our midst more and more. And how are we going to treat them when that single mum comes with the really unruly children from all different fathers? And, and you know, are we going to talk, oh, I can't believe she hasn't got her children in line. Are we going to welcome her in, help her and help her to be part of the family? What about that, that person with special needs that kind of is awkward to talk to and doesn't really engage you with conversation and you're constantly having to ask them questions? Are we going to walk away after a few minutes or are we going to help them to feel comfortable and, and part of the family? Uh, what about the, uh, I don't know, the, the single person or the divorced lady who comes in and looks around and it's, uh, you know, we, we do, we have a lot of people that are married and marriage is great and we have lots of people that have kids and kids are great and, and how are we going to help them to feel connected in and knitted in and part of the family and just as included or, or do we just see Sunday morning as an extended social time? When we get into Costa Coffee, do, do we just chat with the, the group of people that we know that are similar to us? 
Or do we try to look outward? How can I include them? How can I bring them in? How can I draw them in um, to this church? You know what? The welcome team is not just four people in a yellow T-shirt, is it? We know that, don't we? It's everyone. And all this stuff is stuff that, as a church, you know what? We do so well, so much of the time, and we're going to have to do even more well, more of the time. You know, because that is what it means to be pure in heart. Yes, we're, we're going to go and we're going to do actions. We're going we're to serve our community with our hands. We also need to serve our community with our hearts, with our time, with our energy. It's going to take energy and, and serve them with all that we are as we help to draw them in and bring them to Jesus. The disciples, they concluded this. Peter said this um, when after they discussed it. God's who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles or of that group of that people that don't quite match up, um, put on their necks uh, a yoke that, we can't even bear ourselves, let alone them. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So it's not through lots of rules and stuff that we do, it's through grace, just as they are, just as anyone is. So how do we have a pure heart? How to go after God and not be a hypocrite? How to live a life focused on him? We do it all by faith. We do it all by faith, trusting in him, knowing that Everyone can come to know God, and many, many people will, and many do all the time. We've mentioned throughout this series that all of the Beatitudes, they all build on one another. So all the blessings of God belong together, they build on. When we put our trust in Jesus, we can be certain that we will enter the kingdom of God, that we will be comforted, we will be satisfied and filled, that we will be shown mercy, that we will see God, and that we will be his children and so on. And that is what it means to be blessed and to flourish. But just as the blessings belong together, so the statements build on each other. And it starts off by knowing that you are poor in spirit, that you can't quite explain it, but you know that God is real. You don't have to have all the answers, but through others and through circumstances, you believe that there must be more to life than this. And you realise that before a holy God, that you are unable to contribute anything to God for your salvation. When you do that, he makes you alive and you see yourself and the state of your sin clearly for the first time. And you mourn that sin and the sin of people around you. Notice that if you, if you think that you can offer something to God, if you think that you are sinless and that you're, you're going to be fine anyway, do you know what? You haven't met God. You haven't received this forgiveness. And you don't really know the true extent of his grace. You are utterly far from God without Jesus. And we need to repent and know his grace. And when we do, we see the state of our sin. We see that we're far from God. We mourn. And then we realise we realize that. And we also realise the amazing grace that God gives by forgiving us, by placing the punishment that we deserve onto Jesus instead. And then we are humbled. We are meek. And we then hunger and thirst to know God greater and greater. We hunger for his righteousness in our lives. And as we do this, we receive his mercy and then we show mercy to everyone else. And, and can you see how it's all builds? It all builds together. And when we are able to do 
all of that, all through all of this that happens through God, he works on our hearts. He helps us through faith to see God glorified in every area of our lives. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Matthew 22. You trust in the Lord and lean not in your, understand, in your own understanding. That's Proverbs 3, 5. Through all of this, God fills you with his Holy Spirit and you learn to trust in him and you seek him in everything you do. And you know what the Bible says about the, that person? It says that that person is blessed. That person flourishes. The person that knows that God has been with him. It's not the person that um, necessarily has all the stuff that has the car, it doesn't, you know, if you, if, if, God, if you get a job, then I think it's right for you to give God thanks for it. But do you know what? You can still give God thanks even if you haven't got that job. You can still know a great blessing. That's why the gospel doesn't just work well in the West. Actually, throughout the whole world, many, many places in the world are stripped of all material possessions, jobs, cars, homes, Wi-Fi, everything that we hold dear and yet can be utterly flourishing for the gospel. Utterly know all that it means to be saved by grace because that is not what it means to be blessed. What it means to be blessed is to know that you're at peace between you and God, that you have salvation, that you can know a relationship with him and you can see him. And so that person is like a wonderful bouquet of the finest flowers. They're easy on the eye. They're a sweet fragrance to the nose. They're attractive to bees. They brighten up the life of all that they come in contact with. That person has life in them and the world around them is changed. Even if they die, they live. Amen? I, I want us to come back to worship. What that means is I haven't really explained what it means to see God. My three points about what it meant to see God was that you enter into his presence. And what I mean by that is that if you book a doctor's appointment and say, I want to see the doctor, you're not wanting to look at him from afar with binoculars. You're not wanting to see a picture of him. You're wanting to be in his presence. That's what it means to see God, to be in his presence. It, to see God means to, to see his glory. And Jesus promises one day he will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you will see him in his glory. And we see a little bit now. I had a cracked phone and my phone worked and you could feel and see the power behind it, but it was all glitchy. And you could sense there's power there, but then when I upgraded my phone and got a new screen, wow, this is good. And you can see. So we see in part now. We see, but it's all it's fractured so we, we, we can know a bit of God's presence now through healings, through worship, through the Holy Spirit, but we're going to see him one day in his full glory. And the third thing I was going to say is that he, he comforts us by his grace. And that's what it means to see God is that we are comforted by his grace, not, not by stuff, but by his grace and his mercy. And it'd be great to get the band up because I wanna, I, God might have spoken to you in all sorts of different ways, and I want to encourage us that we're called not to be dead fake flowers, but living, beautiful, flourishing flowers that bring life to the world around us. We're meant to be a sweet-smelling fragrance, a pleasure to be around, gracious and kind. We don't pay service with our lips and not our hearts. We don't give money, and, but yet fail to give our time, love, care and attention. We don't look to overload people with rules and regulations, try to scrub the outside of the cup, but instead we... Point them towards Jesus' grace. We don't look to um, do those things, 
but instead we, we, we point everyone to Jesus and we let Jesus do a work in the heart. Ultimately, the inside of the cup needs to be clean before anything can happen to the outside. And it doesn't work the other way around. The aim of Jesus is not to reform the manners of society, but to change the heart of sinners. Let's stand together, shall we? Yeah, I need to start to play, James. And uh, I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you for each and every one of us here today. Lord God, as we head out into our community next Saturday, we're so excited and ready. We're looking forward to bless them. And Lord God, we're looking forward to being church in the midst of all sorts of brokenness, sin, shame and pain. And Lord God, I just pray, I pray Lord God, that as we gather together, week by week, month by month, evening by evening, Lord God, that we will be people that our heart, motives and attitudes and thoughts and feelings are in line with our actions. That we wouldn't be people that are whitewashed tombs but dead on the inside. That we'd be people that are full of grace and love and compassion. That give our time and energy because we are in relationship with you. Because we know you. Because we trust you deeply for every single area of our life. Help us, Lord God, to be not dead hypocritical flowers, but flourishing alive flowers that bring life to the whole garden. Lord, we're looking forward to seeing, yeah, a garden, an orchard, a, a valley of beautiful flowers, all different shapes and sizes that bring life to this whole community, ultimately to the world, to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord God, that the message you give us is good news. We just ask, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts now. We worship you, we give you all our praise. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.